0: ago, my husband and I made the decision to move to the Lower Mainland with our young daughter, drawn by its sheer beauty. Compared to other Canadian cities where I've lived, I didn't understand what made this place so unique, but I was really excited to be a part of it. To get a better understanding of just what makes this place so special, we've traveled throughout Metro Vancouver to meet some of the people that call this place home and hear their stories. Like many, I grew up in suburbia, amongst rows of houses with very little connection to agriculture. When we moved to Vancouver, I immediately noticed a food culture here that I'd never really experienced before. Here, there's an abundance of local produce available and a real focus on quality foods. Over the last 10 years, I've come to really appreciate that access to buying local. But what exactly does locally grown mean and why is it so important? In our search for answers, we've met with three farmers, each with their own stories about what farming and food means to them. When we set off for Steveston to meet our first farmer, we had imagined we'd be visiting a vast expanse of land. Instead, we found ourselves on a small acreage set right on the edge of the Strait of Georgia, Yet still alive with activity. There, we met Harold, a man with lines on his face and dirt under his fingernails, painting the picture of many years of a love for farming.
1: Hi, I'm Harold Steves, a city councillor in Richmond, and uh, I think four generations on this very farm. My great grandfather Manoa got the Wanderlust in 1877 and came out here to the mouth of the river. On this very site he built the first house on stilts, so it was up about five feet above the water when the tide came in, and he built a hand dike about three feet high all around the house and left enough land for a garden. And they planted radishes and cabbages and things like that to grow as much food as they could. Apparently he had an 8-gauge shotgun and my great aunt who lived to be almost 100 said that uh, he would take the gun out and mount it on a post and line it up with the ducks and shoot a 100 at a time <laughs> and his daughters would pluck them all and they used to put them in barrels uh, of salt water and uh, to basically pickle them for the year. But that's what they lived on, ducks and geese and, and what they grew in their garden.
0: If you could imagine this land over 100 years ago, you would see farmers that had been here for generations. In fact, the First Nations had been farming on this land long before Caucasian settlers had arrived. For Minoah and his wife, when they moved here, they found ways to work together with the First Nations and help each other thrive.
1: There's stories of, of them trading grown produce with the First Nations people for sturgeon sturgeon and, uh, and salmon when they didn't catch it themselves.
0: Over time, The local government in Richmond began to recognize the true value of the farmland in the area and how during high tides, a lot of the land would be underwater. As a result, this inspired them to build permanent dikes around the area, which would help to control water levels.
1: In 1907 they built the dikes and so after that all the land within Richmond was ploughed and uh, farmed. And it was huge, huge areas of farming. Uh, Vast acreages were ploughed and seeded and planted. Um, Zara's was a fairly large farm. They went into dairy cattle. And they uh, had horse-drawn wagons and delivered milk to Vancouver. When my parents got married they built a house on the farm and I was born there in 1937. They they lost a lot of their land and their cattle during the depression. So uh, my parents were struggling to get you know back on their feet again, and so I grew up with uh, a great respect for poverty. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But other than that, you know, in terms of the land, the land was still good, and nothing had changed.
0: Harold spent his childhood working on the farm with his family and also helping out the farmers in the surrounding area. Over time, he developed a real love for the land.
1: So I went to UBC and took agriculture and was going to basically take over the farm and then everything changed. I guess it was about 1959, I came home in June and we're having breakfast at the breakfast stable one morning and my dad said, we've got problems with the farm. He said they wouldn't give me a building permit to build a new dairy.
0: We asked Harold, What exactly caused this change?
1: We'd all wanted better transportation. We had uh, two bridges, the Fraser Street Bridge and the Marpole Bridge. And in rush hour in the morning, there was probably 20 or 30 cars lined up, and we all complained about it. (laughs) And so we wanted a new bridge. Well, sometimes you've got to be careful what you wish for because they built the Oak Street Bridge in 1957. And in 1959, unbeknownst to us and all the owners, the city council rezoned 12,000 acres of farmland, which included our farm, to residential. And we didn't find out until when my dad went to get a building permit.
0: This rezoning not only affected the Steve's family farm, but also other farms within Richmond. Many of the farmers had to sell their land and move out of the area. For Harold, this meant a shift in his plans.
1: Well, it changed my life because I was intended to grow farming and by the time I was out of school, the farm was gone. Because we couldn't build a new dairy, we sold our dairy cattle and we put beef on the farm. And we went to the assessment appeal board to say we're farmers. We've been farming here since 1877. And they said, uh, beef cattle isn't the best use for your land. We're, we're not going to give you farm status. And they jacked my dad's taxes up and he put the land up for sale within probably two or three weeks afterwards.
0: This meant that the family farm, which was originally 160 acres, had been reduced down to just five.
1: Vancouver was growing, and uh, the people that my parents and everybody had elected to city council decided Vancouver should grow out of Richmond, and they, they didn't really have that much respect for the land because uh, they thought, well, there's lots of land. There's lands in Delta, there's land all the way to Hope, so we don't need farmland. And I think it was just a general attitude uh, that uh, Vancouver is going to expand, so let it expand here.
0: Harold watched as the farmland around him began to disappear, and he felt that he needed to take action.
1: We needed to protect farmland, and so I I guess by 1961, two or three years later, I was campaigning to save farmland. (laughs) When we drafted the Agricultural Land Reserve legislation, it was to prevent what happened in Richmond from happening anyplace else. And the next place it was going to happen was in Delta.
0: The Agricultural Land Reserve, or the ALR, which Harold co-wrote with Sharon Yandel, was put in place to protect the land and ensure that farmland stayed farmland.
1: I'm now being called upon more than ever to defend what we did, and there's a lot of young people out there that are taking this on. And it's kind of exciting to be able to pass on the the torch and the love for the land and and the ideas of how you can save the the land, save the soil, and, and build agriculture again.
0: This passion and excitement for carrying on the tradition calls back to his own family's continued legacy as farmers.
1: We traced our ancestry to 250 years ago, and our family's been in cattle all that time, so I think I think we must have a direct link, 250 years of raising cows, <laughs> because it's in the blood. And um, my oldest son has taken over the ranch up country, and our youngest son is, is working in the farm here and, and uh, gradually taking over this place as we ease our way out of it.
0: In our discovery of food in Metro Vancouver, we learned that not all farms have been around for generations like the Steve's. Some, like Harvinder Dhaliwal, didn't intend to be farmers. He wanted what we all want, a home where his entire family could come together. When we arrived at the Dhaliwal farm, we were greeted with open arms, a glass of wine, and several smiling faces. While we sat down with Harvinder, his wife Jagdish, and one of their daughters Nitu, his mother and his grandchildren were also there enjoying the open space.
2: My name is Harvinder Dalliwal. They call me nickname as Rana. I drive truck. We've been in uh, Canada since 1973. And we live on the farm, and I do part-time blueberry farming. We have a total of five acres. And out of the five acres, we have a blueberry about three and a half acres.
0: Due to our temperate climate, blueberries are very common in this part of the Pacific Northwest. Even still, Rana prides himself on his crop being distinct.
2: This brand called the Duke, size-wise it's a little bigger and it's very sweet. We don't really go after lots and lots of production. We just like to have the quality fruit, not the quantity. So I think this is what makes it unique. We don't spray our fruit. We try to keep it organic, and we just try to keep it simple. And it's been working out good.
0: While it may not be his full-time job, farming has always been a part of Rana's life, especially during his childhood in India.
2: We're from a state of Rajasthan, which is wide open and a big state. My grandfather had a big farm. We had a different kind of a crop. They had sugarcane, cotton, and mm-hmm. weed. My father, he had this passion for horses because my grandfather played polo, my dad played polo, and then we bought this land originally to be out in the open and to have some horses here. We were looking for ALR land, and we wanted something that is not developable. We wanted to keep it the way it is, so we know you can live here for 50, 60 years, and this land will be a five-acre zone.
0: In 2005, Rana found his perfect five-acre lot in Port Cowles. Not long after, he got underway laying the groundwork for his homestead. But, as with all best-laid plans, things took a turn.
2: I was building it here, busy, and then my father got sick. And so he was hospitalized for a while, but he didn't completely recover. One thing I knew is keeping horses is not going to happen because he was not able to be able to look after them.
0: Determined, Rana and his family made a decision on how best to move forward, setting him on his current path.
2: We've been in a farm in in India and I could not see land just sitting there and doing nothing. So we thought blueberry is the practical crop for us. With our family help, my wife, kids, they all uh, kind of got into it and we did it.
0: (laughs) When we met Rana's family, we could tell that everyone was very close. Even our interview was a family affair. While the whole family pitches in to get work done, like Rana, they all have full-time day jobs as well.
2: The busiest time is the harvest time of the blueberry. And that's when the whole family gets involved. Those 10 days, they are long hours. So we manage it somehow.
3: <laughs> it's a stressful time, yeah. It's lots of work.
2: It's kind of fun
3: too. <laughs> no, but when you see the berries on the plants, right, you enjoy it.
0: This small farm manages to harvest 15 to 20,000 pounds of blueberries every year, they're sold to friends, at markets, as well as luxury hotels, including the one where Rana's wife Jagdish works.
2: I think it's wonderful. I enjoy this life, like farm style life. You can consider it as a work and the fun, whatever, but we're there all together.
0: <laughs> it was clear that having a place for his entire family to gather was important. But of course, like all parents, Rana enjoys the quiet farm life too.
2: Everybody eats here at night, (laughs) and then they leave.
0: (laughs) Agricultural land here is at a premium. Going forward, we need to look at new ways to grow food for the future. And that's what took us to our next farm. Have you ever found yourself heading into downtown and noticed the planter boxes set up in rows nestled between BC Place and Falls Creek? You, like myself, may have thought that it was a community garden, but in fact, it's one of a number of urban farms popping up in our city centers. There, we met up with Nova Guest, a grounded and spirited young woman who loves to get her hands dirty working the soil. My name is Nova.
4: I'm a young mom and I'm a soul food farmer. I learn here, I grow here. We all kind of share different duties, like seeding to plowing to flipping soil to raking it out. I like to flip, I love to flip, toss in some heavy metal tunes and just plow right through. Or if you're feeling kind of lethargic, they'll put you on weeding because sometimes it just takes a bit of time just to sit down, weed through and you're weeding through your thoughts too, you know? Yeah, I found it, this is my therapy. I have been farming with Soul Food for about five years now.
0: Since I started, I've literally worked from the ground up. When she was younger, Nova struggled with addiction. Her journey to getting clean helped her realize the value of hard work. I actually recovered from crystal meth 12 years
4: ago while working with the horses at the Hastings Racetrack. I was struggling to get clean. You try to get clean while you're sitting in filth and it just doesn't really work out too well. You kind of got to displace yourself, put yourself somewhere else, experience something new. I used to call it Pluto because it was like this whole world away from everywhere else. Digging up the horse stalls, walking the horses all day, it was a lot of hard work, but it makes you feel great at the end of the day.
0: For most of us, the simple act of eating comes naturally. But for Nova, This was something her earlier experiences had a negative effect on. Teaching herself what and how to eat again created a spark in her to grow her own food. When I was recovering, it took me a long time to learn how to eat again.
4: And I didn't even have like an appropriate diet until when I was pregnant, I started learning about diet. And then I had my little boy and I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to really learn how to eat. Just before I started working here, I had grown my own potatoes. One round, I was like, wow, this thing's growing under my counter. I might as well pop around the soil, right? Next thing I know, I've got bushes with flowers, and I'm pulling them up, and I've got all these potatoes. It's like, wow, that was easy. I started here because I needed something to do with my life. I wanted to not really be moseying around on disability, you know, and feeling sorry for myself. I wanted to actually get something going. I'm also a young mom,
0: my son's seven, and I wanted to kind of start up something that he could be proud of. After hearing about Soul Foods from a number of her friends, she saw it as the perfect opportunity to combine her love of hard work with her desire to grow food. I was in a work program called New Start, and it's
4: uh, to help employ women with barriers. This lady, Linda, she was like, okay, we're gonna dedicate this next week, working on your resume, working on your cover letter, and we are gonna get you in that door. I also had a friend that was working here. Her name was Donna, and she was an incredible character. Kind of like the farm mom, in the sense. She had talked with the bosses and was like, yeah, I've got a young lady that wants to come in, needs to come in, and would be perfect for this. We've got a lot of poverty in the city. Like, V6A, it's Canada's poorest area code. And to find food, good
0: food, in the community before the farm, it was quite impossible. The food Nova and her fellow urban farmers grow is sold to restaurants, local shops, and to the general public at farmer's markets. There, they've come up with a great way of giving back to the community.
4: At all the farmer's markets, they've got these certificates that you can purchase $5 or $10, whatever it says on the voucher. They come from the food banks and stuff. Whatever's left at the end of the week we donate, so in that for kind of helping with
0: bringing the food out for the low income as well. I definitely like to see it happen a lot more. Soul Foods is doing their part to help, providing opportunities to individuals struggling to get back on their feet.
4: Staying in Soul Food, I really feel security because we also have our own support workers. We're employing twenty six people from the downtown east side, barriers to employment. They help us on a number of different things. From housing to health to, say, if
0: you're dealing with problems with disability. They've helped me on so many different levels. We asked Nova what it is she loves most about working for Soul Foods. Unity. Acceptance. It's like almost unconditional. You know, it doesn't matter
4: how you show up to work as long as you show. We are completely different people than when we started. Whether it be addiction absence to finally living in a place, or just even having that stable, solid foundation. For me, I come to the farm and this is like my whole other family. Being a mom, stuff comes up out of the blue. And so they're so open with me bringing them down here. He helped me clear out a whole bunch of rows of like weeds and stuff. So I made him just do the easy tasks and stuff. And he was really stoked with that. We've got so much stuff growing at home too, so
0: he's pretty proud of me being a farmer. I'm sure Nova would admit that this is not where she thought she would be 10 years ago. She's taken an opportunity to improve her life and turn it into her passion.
4: One of my sayings is, gardening is a hobby, farming is a lifestyle.
0: Urban farms, like Soul Foods, are creating the blueprint for what growing food could look like in our near future. But even still, we need to protect and appreciate the traditional farms like those of Harold and Rana. The access to locally grown food that we've become accustomed to is really thanks to their dedication. I would never have known moving here would inspire such a love of food. Meeting the people that have made that possible has given a whole new meaning to my morning smoothie and the kids' all-time favorite, my strawberry scones. The Straight and Narrows is a collaboration by Modacity and is written and produced by Chris Bruntlett and myself, Melissa Bruntlett. A very big thanks to Christophe Privo, our sound engineer and editor, Todd LeBlanc, our marketing director, David Fu, and our music supervisor, Gina Less. This episode has featured songs by Greg Drummond, who calls Port Moody home.
3: So I'll stick around My shoulders help high My soul, it holds its song design No need to be ashamed A well, I've got pride Cause it's drive that keeps me alive So I thought I was alone I've been working to the bone slow and steady rush we thought it was a bust we all know and i thought i'd turn away i could bring this to my grave the song the angels sang and it brought me back to find my own I'm sure blessings boy, and I'll tell you why. If you don't know why you just won't know.